Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the various phases of EMR adoption. How mature is the EMR market? Where are we at in these various phases? And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Man, it's, it's amazing to think it's almost been 15 years that I've been writing about EMR. I really started with EMR uh, before Healthcare IT Today existed. It was EMR and HIPAA and EMR and EHR and hospital EMR and EHR. So this is a topic I love, but uh, it's interesting how everything's evolved, right? Yeah, and that, you know this uh, this spawned because you and I were talking about, and, and I wrote a little piece of, that kind of identified some phases that I think the EMR market has gone through. Um, the first phase being that gold rush days, right, which is when you started your writing and blogging, John, around the EMR adoption phase is what I called it, and that's where you know government money was flowing and people were rushing to adopt the technology and just get it in in order to get the dollars and and you know, all the problems that sort of that created, but that was that gold rush that happened for a long time where people were just scrambling to adopt the EMR solutions. Yeah, I like to say the RS stimulus package worked for me, but the reality is it worked for EHR vendors as well, right? Uh, $36 billion of stimulus money definitely created a market. And, and to be honest, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we should probably do a look back show on, on, on meaningful <laughs> use and goods and bads, but, you know, even though it could have been better, it did what it intended to do, which was force healthcare organizations to adopt an electronic health record. And now, you know, in the acute care space, it's essentially, you know, full adoption. There might be onesies, twosies here or there that haven't done something. But for the most part, everyone's adopted in EHR. And even on the ambulatory side, the numbers are still huge. You know, there's a few holdouts that are doing some paper, but for the most part, it achieved the goal of universal EHR adoption. Exactly. I, you know, I shudder to think where we would be today had that stimulus package not happened because right? you know because because there's been some retrospective looks back because you know before the stimulus happened you know the we were clipping along at sort of five to seven percent adoption every year so you can imagine like how long that would have taken if only every year five percent more people adopted it like we would still be you know, faxing stuff back and forth, even though we do that now, but we would be faxing way more stuff back and forth than we are now. Yeah, um, scanner companies would like that, right? Exactly. Uh, and you think back to the early days, I mean, I, a recent interview I did with Nikki Tripathy, you can check it out at healthcareittoday.com. He was talking about those early days and how they literally had to be the IT service company for a practice, including putting in Wi-Fi for them. So we've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that adoption phase was fun. I think, clearly, I think we're, we're past that now. And A, the stimulus dollars have long, long ended. Uh, and B, the number and the saturation, there are you know, way, way higher into the 90s plus uh, in terms of adoption rates. So I think the EMR adoption phase is, is pretty much over. Uh, and, and thanks for the stimulus dollars for helping us get us there sooner. 
Yeah, and now we're entering a really interesting phase, which is a mix of switching and, you know, there's a touch of consolidation that will still happen. So I, I consider that a very mature market. But you highlighted the second phase, which is, is really interesting, which is EHR consolidation, which for the most part I see is, is done. You know, I think we'll see some onesie, twosies again here where maybe a few EHR vendors do it or, or maybe a Google comes in and acquires an, a big EHR vendor. That would be really interesting. But you won't see the same consolidation that we saw where private equity rolled up four or five of them into one organization. You know, that, we've kind of been through that. And, you know, all scripts, uh, I think they had seven at one point, right? Like, right. which is a huge roll up that happened to VHR vendors. So in most respects, I think that's done. And it's proven something really interesting is that with just a few thousand doctors, you can have a really lucrative business. And, you know, I've often said that many times now, it's not so much about EMR adoption. An EHR vendor is a distribution channel to practices or to acute care systems. And so I think we're shifting gears men mentally as far as, you know, when it comes to consolidation. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think EMR consolidation uh, I had identified as the second phase. And to me, that sort of represented the market shrinking from the thousands of certified vendors that we had at one point down now to a, a select few. And, you know, and, and I know there's, there's still hundreds of e EMRs out there, but there are pretty, some pretty dominant players and we all know who they are, right? The Epics, the Cerners, the Meditechs, the, and then, you know, the Allscripts, the eClinicalWorks. E and those are the companies that, that have made it, right? Uh, Athena and so forth. Um, and what's happened is either they've gobbled them up, uh, gobbled up people who, you know, their competitors or, or people who, who are willing to sell or the people who, who didn't sell just faded away. Like they just, they couldn't keep up. They couldn't keep the R and D there. And so the customers themselves switched over to one of the bigger players. But I think that era is, is pretty much done. If you're, if you're, whether you've, whatever EMR you're on, you probably don't have plans right now to switch from it. You're going to live with it for the next little while, unless something really outrageous has happened or unless you're, you're consolidating your practice, right? I think there's a little more movement in the ambulatory space that is a, a little, you know, there's more possibility because it's easier to switch if you're an ambulatory provider, especially if you're on some of these older systems where they're not updating it anymore. And that becomes a problem. So we'll see a, a little bit, but yeah, for the most part, if you've got your EHR, you're in it in the acute care space, I think that's particularly true. The only exception is hospital consolidation, but most of the hospital consolidation has reached the point where they're so large that even when they consolidate, they're like, now I know you have Epic and I know you have Cerner and I know you have Meditech, but guess what? We're going to stick with it and let's figure out interoperability. Exactly. Exactly. The cost of switching those mega systems now is just too, uh, too high to actually consider doing the switch. You'd rather just do it either gradually over time or just not do it at all and live with it. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the, the phase of even our consolidation is, is for the most part over. Like you said, there may be one or two uh, consolidations or acquisitions that happen from here on out, but they won't be sort of the regular occurrence where, you know, for a while there, we were sort of looking at who's dropping off that list next, right? Who's being acquired next. That, that craze and that phase is definitely over. And, and, you know, where I think we are now, phase three um, that I've identified was EMR optimization. And I think you've talked about this a lot, John, in a lot of the things you've written about. Uh, and that is really trying to figure out ways to better use the EMR that you have. 
right? To, to optimize the workflows, to optimize the UI and the user experience and, and make it so that it's not quite so keystrokey, right? And it doesn't take seven clicks now, it's two clicks. And, and it's, it's doing all that work to kind of go, okay, let's really address some of these issues that are really making EMRs annoying and frustrating. Let's work on that and, and get those down so that we're all sort of at that happy medium point of, okay, it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than it was. And so let's just move forward now. Yeah, and I think the class Arch Collaborative has done a lot of great research on satisfaction with your EHR and in being able to know what does it take to really become satisfied with it. And, and part of that is the customization that needs to be done. And it's the user customization and training related to it. They have a number of elements, but, you know, so it. It's no surprise, though, why this we're in this category, which I think right now this is the majority of organizations out there is they're in this EHR optimization phase. And it makes sense because we had $36 billion of stimulus money. They all chased after that stimulus money. And because of that, they forced in an EHR as quick as they could and not in the optimal manner. And so there's just huge opportunities across most healthcare organizations with even just a little bit of customization and a little bit of training, the experience goes up dramatically for most organizations. There's a number of people that have espoused kind of this small team scrum mentality to go in and say, let's optimize this organization. And they've shown really effective results with small teams, you know, with uh, functional experts across a number of areas coming in and saying, okay, how can I optimize what you're doing? And it makes a dramatic impact on the end user's experience. Yeah. And you know, I think this is a, uh a welcome phase to be in for many people. Because I think on one hand, you do have end users who have resigned the fact that themselves to the fact that EMRs are not going anywhere and they're not going <laughs> to switch. They're not going to switch tomorrow to a new one. So thank goodness, because I think anyone who's been through that has also said, oh my gosh, the system might be better, but the switching was horrible, right? To have to unlearn an old system and learn a new one, even though the new one was better, it's still painful to go through that switch. So I don't think anyone's looking forward to doing another switch which is why when, they, when these small teams come through or when IT talks about, hey, let's sit down, let's try to figure out, make the screen a little bit more usable for you. What can we do to just simplify this one screen? It's, it's welcome relief. Okay, you're not gonna fix everything in one night, cool, but at least you're working on these little small parts. And we're starting to hear that because we at least, we still hear complaints. Um, that's probably never gonna go away, but the strength of those complaints, the, the, the anger behind the complaints seems to be dissipating finally as these teams, as these organizations start to really focus on these impact, like these, these uh, usability impacts and these uh, workflow impacts that the EMR that they forced in had. Yeah, well, and to be honest, uh, I hear the complaints and I understand EHR vendors should do better. Optimization efforts should do better because there is more that can be done. But I also go back to they were complaining about paper charts too, right? Like, I mean, let's be honest. If I ask you to do the documentation for healthcare IT today, you hate it just as much as I do, right? Like, so, I mean, you know, to some extent, you know, it's a feature of the requirement of having to document. It's just not fun, which is why Ambient Clinical Voice and those other auto documentation features are so exciting is, can we get them out of it completely? But anyway, that's a topic for another day. 
But, uh, you know, and we're seeing this in terms of, uh, you know, what companies are being successful, right? There are lots of companies that are really making a lot of hay right now, helping other organizations just smooth out the application of the EMR they have, right? They're no longer talking about, you know, helping you switch or helping you implement into new areas. They're really going back, like, as you said, let's go back, let's find your biggest pain points, let's identify them, and let's go work on just fixing those. And you can see that also in the updates that are coming out from a lot of the EMRs themselves. A lot, you know, I read some of those release notes and some of the press releases that come through. Just looking at the list of new features, it's not a list of whiz-bang new stuff. It's a lot of like, hey, we've implemented the ability to control the workflow using this method. Or we've kind of shrunk and consolidated these five screens into one now and we've changed the layout. And you know, a lot of that seems to be in these releases now, which is, again, for me, amazing to hear that because it, it just shows that people are going, okay, Let's finally get back to making this a lot better for the end users. Yeah, I mean, it's about time we spend time on that, right? Uh, and, and you know, the, I, I understand where they're coming from. They had to slam all these in. They had to meet meaningful use regulations. They had to meet macro regulations. Now they're having to force in telehealth, right? <laughs> like, you know, so it's not, you know, oh, and then they, by the way, they had ICD-10 in there. You know, the, there's a lot of projects that healthcare has had to deal with over this time period. And hopefully now, and, you know, COVID has kind of thrown a little number on this, but hopefully now we have the space, right? The, the intellectual space, right? Because <laughs> we were so overwhelmed with what we had to do that we can spend the time on the optimization to really make people's lives better. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you bring up the, the regulation side. I mean, we've had a bit of a breather now because there's no more meaningful use requirements, right? At least in terms of what's changing, what's in, what's out. We know we have info blocking. We have, you know, potentially some HIPAA changes coming through and things like that, but they were nowhere near the scale and impact of what the changes to meaningful use requirements were, right? Where both you had the vendors scrambling to implement the functionality and then you had the end users, the hospitals and the uh, physician practices scrambling to get the reporting done right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, thankfully that's taken a back seat now. You know, we, that's, you know, it's no longer that, that big burning anvil of holding, being held over everyone's head. So it's nice to have this time to look at, at the opportunity to kind of optimize your EMR. It's a great point because the new regulations in the 21st Century CARES Act, which is I think the biggest one that people are looking at, it's big and it impacts healthcare organizations in a big way, but it doesn't impact the end user the same way that the meaningful use did, right? Like the right. doctor has to e-prescribe in macro and meaningful use. But in you know the 21st Century Cares Act, there's not as many things where the doctor has to do something. It's more the organization has to do something, right. and that's great. I mean, that should relieve some people from having to be so all-encompassed, focused on the regulation. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. We're discussing the various phases of EMR adoption. And John, I think that brings us to sort of the, the final phase, which um, I, I termed EMR extension, mostly because everything else ended in TION, so I had to think of something. <laughs> but uh, but uh, EMR extension, I called this phase, uh, or I said this phase, because the way I see it, this is a phase where people are going to extend the use of their EMR. They're going to take the investment that they've made. They're going to take the data. They're going to take the workflows. They're going to take the information that's stored inside the EMR and then leverage it and use it in other places and in new ways. 
So we're going to finally kind of use the EMR as a springboard to innovation, to better care, to smoother care, to cheaper care. Uh, but we had to kind of go through all these other phases in order to even start this. And to me, we're starting to see people go into this phase. This is on a more local level, like some hospitals are still optimizing and will be optimizing for a while. But there are some organizations that are in this extension phase, and this is, you know, they're adopting things like deeper analytics. They're adopting things like AI or kiosks, better kiosks to do front entry. They're doing a lot of these uh, communication tools with patients. This is all leveraging the data that's already in the EMR. And to me, that represents, you know, being in this sort of phase, this extension phase. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to look at this phase because when you look back, you know, kind of at your previous comment, EHR vendors haven't been rolling out feature after feature. Like that's not the phase that they're in in their development. In fact, the features they're working on are the APIs or are the, you know, extensions that they need to for interoperability with Smart on Fire or other things like mm -hmm. that. That's where their focus has been. And of course, optimizing what they're existing doing. In fact, the biggest announcement they've been making may be like a mobile app. Right. Which, okay, that's a big deal. But the mobile app is basically an extension of what they were doing before, just in a better fashion, hopefully. And, and so like, you know, the, the only time that they've really rolled out was this telehealth, right? Like it's the closest thing to a new feature, you know, big new feature right. and big new area that the EHR vendors were going to go into that we've had in what the past five or 10 years, you know, like it's been a while since they've done it. So to me, that's why the extension one is so interesting is because the EHR vendors have to continue doing what they're doing, which is optimizing the documentation, you know, that they need to do and optimizing the billing and all of those things that they don't have time to do all the cool things like you're talking about, like communication, forget about genomics, you know, they're not doing that. So they need someone else to do the, the extensions there. But even other things like ratings and reviews, like, sure, a few EHR vendors have done that, but most of them haven't. And yet that's kind of the lifeblood of a healthcare organization. So they need partners to extend the EHR to be able to do that. Yeah, and I think that's where we're seeing, um, it's in a strange way, you know, there was a time where a lot of, and a lot of EMR companies still think this way, where they could own the entire stack, right? Like they're a monolith. You can just go with their single solution. And we know one particular vendor who, who still has that theory, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but what we're also seeing is that, well, they're, because they've gotten so big and so comprehensive, it just takes them so long to get to some areas like genomics, like patient communications. And yeah, I know some of them have a tool and it's good enough for some people, but there's also a dozen competitors in these smaller spaces that are doing amazing things and innovating. And because they're able to leverage the EMR, um, I think they've got some staying power, right? Unlike they, they might be gobbled up by an EMR eventually, but for now they exist because they can leverage the data that's inside. And to me, that's exciting because I'm able to, as an organization now choose best of breed. If I want to, if I want to stick with my vendor, I can, and I probably got something that's good enough. But if I really want to do something special or if I really have some special needs, uh, I can find a vendor and I have more chance now that that vendor is going to be able to work with my EMR versus having to implement another silo. Uh, and I think that's going to be really, that is really exciting to be in right now. Yeah, I mean, the scary part of this phase, though, 
comes from a number of different directions. One is the EHR vendors, are they going to come and compete with me? Right. So if I develop this amazing AI chatbot, you know, you, you did the, the, the inspiration for this was from the Asparia webinar, right, where they talked about their chatbot, which mm-hmm. was deeply integrated with Epic. And, and that, you know, that's a great model because the user never leaves Epic. Epic should see that as providing tremendous value because the user's still in Epic. But what happens when Epic says, oh, let's build our own chatbot? Like, that's a scary position to be in for a company that is relatively small in relation to Epic. You know, so, you know, are they afraid that Epic's going to come after them, one? Or two, are, you know, and if Epic does come after them or any HR vendor come, you know, comes and starts competing with them, are they going to turn off the hose of data that they need to be successful. So, you know, it's a scary thing to kind of get into. So my suggestion to EHR vendors is to be very clear about what you are not going to do. Are you going to do remote patient monitoring or are you not? And what does that mean, you know? And and can you communicate that to the community so that they can build the extensions to your EHR that are valuable to a healthcare organization but that those vendors don't have to fear that the EHR vendor is eventually going to just decide to compete with them. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is a fear and it's a fear of any entrepreneur, right? That's starting a company where maybe one of the pre-existing players could just come in and just kill the market. Right. Yep. But I also think that those days I think are getting further and further behind in the rearview mirror. I mean, telehealth may be an exception because it's so big and there's so much adoption. But I can't see, for example, an EMR company making a ton of money off patient communications, right? The amount that they would be able to charge on top of what they're already charging is so small that they, I think they would just go, you know what, if someone else wants to take this on, I got bigger fish to fry, right? Like, um, and I think that's what's going to happen is that there's going to be always these niches and the the key, the trick will be, can you find a niche, build yourself big enough where, hey, maybe you're the one that's going to be acquired by the EMR, right? In which case you're sitting pretty. but I like the fact that in this world, we're finally getting to, or in this phase, sorry, we're finally getting to leveraging the, this giant investment that we've all made over the years in EMRs. We're finally using the data to, to build AI engines, to make better recommendations with decision support. We're finally using the data for true research into the efficacy of drugs and, and treatment plans and those kinds of things, which would not have been possible in a paper world or would have been much, much slower, right? <laughs> So it's, it is exciting to be in this phase. It is just, you know, I don't think enough people are here yet. Like we're still very, very early. It's happening only in pockets, right? Uh, and, you know, yes, you mentioned the, the webinar I did with Asparia. That's one area where we're, we're seeing a lot more movement, which is in the communications area, because EMRs have just ignored it or just said this is not an area they're playing in. We're also seeing it a little bit more on the analytics side, right? With you look at all the companies that do analytics on top of EMRs, no EMR seems to have done that really well. They've all teamed with somebody to go and do that analytics for them. So we're starting to see it. And, I think, and I'm hoping that this, this trend continues and more and more organizations emerge out of optimization to get into extension. Well, the reality is there's so many analytics options out there that it's almost impossible for one company to solve all of the problems that we have in healthcare when it comes to analytics. You know, we need a slew of companies working on all of that to be able to solve the problems that we're facing. So I think that makes sense. And, you know, it it is interesting to see how that's going to proceed. Luckily, there has been some government regulations around 
information blocking that will hopefully prevent EHRs from blocking these extension vendors, if you will, from integrating with them. Although there is still out there a number of healthcare organizations that are afraid to integrate with that kind of best of breed approach. They like having the one vendor's neck to ring, right? So they are like, if there's a problem, I can go to you. So that is a mentality shift that many healthcare organizations have to get over if they want to embrace many of these new technologies. And I'll throw another one out there. You talked about communications. You talked about analytics. I'm really interested in those that are saying the future healthcare model really needs to be patient-based. And let's be honest, the EHR is not patient-based. It's <laughs> provider-based, right? You know, and they're trying to shift, but you know, it, it's hard when you're a billing platform from origin, right? right. And you're trying to do that. And you know, there were some that started with EHR, but you know, still, they wanted to get paid. They wanted to get the doctor paid, and that makes sense. But it does a CRM type of solution, or some are talking about PRM, right? Patient Relationship Management. Is that where the future of healthcare really resides? especially in a value-based care world where I need to keep track of that patient. I need to influence that patient. And what does that look like? I don't think it will ever take the EHR away from the system of record, but could there be a big layer on top that has the patient at the center and then taps into the EHR as needed? Uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, overlay that will be fun to watch. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I think there we're, kind of, you're saying what I was thinking, which is that the EMR is not going to go anywhere. I mean, it is so ingrained and entrenched now, and it is going to be the system that healthcare organizations use internally because it is built for them. I mean, it's not optimal yet still. Uh, it's really more of a billing system still, but it's, it will get there in terms of, okay, this is the system that doctors, nurses, and administrators use who deliver care. It is not the system, however, that a patient would use. It is not the system that an insurance company uses. It's not the system that a, a pharmacist uses. And so there will always be these other systems that need to integrate with it. But as you said, there could be a layer or there's an opportunity to create a layer that's really centered around the patient. And how does that interface with all these other uh, applications? How does it integrate with or interface with the EMR that's sitting back there with some of my information? And, and who do I give access, if hopefully I have that control, who do I allow to have access to that? My insurance company, my employer, uh, the government, um, there ha that does not yet exist. Uh, hopefully one day it will. Um, but yeah, that would be a massive extension and a welcome one, I'm sure, for most patients. Yeah, and the real key to this layer for me is going to be that data interoperability, the data exchange, because going back to what we said, the doctor is not going to leave the, leave the EHR, at least not very often. Care manager maybe, right? But the doctor, the nurse, all of those people need to do it from the EHR. And the patient wants something different. And we see a lot of models. I don't think we've seen what's gonna, how that's going to end. Is it going to be text message? Is it going to be a mobile app? Is it going to be email? Is it going to be a mix of all of those? And maybe the answer is that. It's going to be a mix of all of those. And there's some platform that's going to engage with the patient the way the patient wants it, and then is going to insert it back into the EHR so that the physician can continue working through the EHR the way they're used to doing. Absolutely right. That would be, that would be a fantastic utopia. And John, that's kind of the perfect place to leave this episode because we've run out of time yet again. 
So thanks to all of you tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. For more details about our show, check out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at our website, healthcareittoday.com, or on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.